Hey friends, welcome to Pop Culture Makes Me Jealous. I'm your host, Julia, and today's guest is Mario of Movies with Mario, and we are talking La La Land. Critics had a lot to say about La La Land when it first landed in theaters on December 25th, 2016, just in time to be a contender for the Academy Awards. In Ella Taylor's article, An Old School Hollywood Musical That's in Love with Hollywood, she wrote for NPR, La La Land, a frankly commercial but rapturous ode to art, love, and my much maligned hometown of Los Angeles, grows more organically out of Chazelle's charming 2009 debut, Guy and Madeline on a Park Bench. La La Land is a full-service throwback to the golden age, musical transposed with lashings of romantic melancholy to contemporary Los Angeles decked out in primary colored plumage. Since we seem to have lost the habit of big screen glamour, the extravagance is welcome. Largely dubbed an ode to the golden era of Hollywood, it wasn't too long after the film's release that serious criticism started trickling in, but we will get into that in a moment. First, I want to introduce you to our guest. Mario Mello is a movie lover of all genres and often drops movie and television reviews on Instagram. You may remember him from our Emmy show um, listeners. So Mario, welcome back to the show. Hey, Julia. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm good. Look good. You good? Yeah. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're <laughs> I'm here. Always excited to be here. I'm yeah. very excited to talk La La Land. Um, I love musicals, so... La La Land is up there for me, but so yeah, I'm ready to dive deep in it. Um, when we were prepping and like getting to know each other a little bit better to have you as a guest on the show, you commented about Funko Pops oh, and you, gosh. And you have yeah. a lot of them. So I need you to elaborate, please. Like what exactly is a lot? Like how many do you actually own? For me, it's a lot. I guess there's people that have like probably thousands of them. I, I'm only at like probably almost 200. That's, that's still a lot. So, it's still a lot, yeah. Because, I mean, you figure, you know, every time I think about it, I'm like, dang, I spent a lot of money on Pops. But they're so cool, and they're so, like, cute little mini size figurines of, like, things from my favorite movies or TV yeah. shows. And I'm, always, I'm just like, oh, I have to get it. It's so cool. Um, Do you have a yeah, favorite about, one? So my absolute favorite one is Ghostface from the movie Scream. That was actually my very first pop I ever bought. And I only bought it because I loved the movie. And I found it on Amazon for super cheap. And it's actually, surprisingly, it's my most um, money worth pop. Like, because now they have sense. an app to where, like, uh, it shows you how much they are, like, if you were to sell them, like, how mm -hmm. much they're worth. I mean, he's not that, I mean, compared to some other ones, like, sure. he's not that, he's not worth that much. But in my collection, he's, like, worth the most. But I'm like, I'd never, I'd never part with him because he's just so cool. And it's yeah. just it was the start of my collection and like and you know what's funny is when i first started collecting them i didn't even know they were that big like i i didn't they they used to just release some like limited edition and i didn't realize oh. that and then now they're more common so you can find a lot more yeah um, i've seen them in the bookstore yes mm -hmm. but yeah like so now it's just this big old thing and it's, it's part of the pop culture now so they have a you know they have a gigantic funko store in hollywood which is oh really i didn't cool. know that yes if you ever get down to hollywood it's a whole store and they have like it's picture instagram like galore there because they have giant cool. ones you can take pictures with you can build your own so i recently just built my own 
to make me look like me. So that's kind of cool. That's fun. <laughs> you mentioned but Scream. Yeah. Scream's having their 25th anniversary this Oh my year. gosh, I'm so excited. Okay, we had a very strict ratings rule in our house for the most part. So I wasn't allowed to watch Scream. So yeah. my friend had a sleepover for her birthday. And she was like, oh, we rented Scream. Is that okay? Your parents can be okay with that. And I was like, in the phone, yes, they will be. No, they wouldn't have been. <laughs> Same. So I watched it in like a contraband kind of way and I haven't been the same <laughs> since. Oh, the same. Not- it was that uh, my parents were very strict on stuff. So yeah. I ended up watching that at a friend's house too. And I just, I think that's why I loved it so much. Cause I felt like, I was like, I, I'm getting away with something. And it's right. So great. I'm seeing rated R movies. You know? Right. But and I love it. Still, I- it's still one of my favorite franchises. I love them all. Um, even number three, which I know gets a lot of slack, but it's like if you if you realize what they're trying to do, you, like you love it. And I, I'm yeah. a big Wes Craven fan, so to see you know to see that he left that legacy of that franchise, and I'm super excited for the new one because it's um, done by the tri- the um, the directors of Ready or Not. I don't know if you saw that. Oh, one. I didn't um, realize. Yeah, so they're okay. they they're rebooting it, but they said it's kind of like a spiritual sequel, but not a full reboot. So oh, I'm super excited because everyone's coming back again. So. Oh, that's exciting. Because, um, you know, Courtney yeah. Cox made that movie. I right? mean, and I loved Ski <laughs> Ulrich. Oh, my God. I had the biggest crush on Ski Ulrich back then. Yeah, it's so funny because I'll, I'll watch Friends all the time. So it's like funny to see her be uh, like a Monica. But then yeah. when you go and watch Scream, like she's like Gail Weathers and she's like total opposite of what yep. she usually is. So it's super funny. But yeah, so super excited about that. Um, I'm I'm going to be like first in line to, to watch that movie. I'm yeah. like, if I'm working, I'm taking that day off or calling in sick because right. I've been waiting for a while. <laughs> I mean, it basically defined every the generation of everybody who was like old it, enough to watch it at that yes. point, right? Like anybody mm-hmm. alive in 1996 who was old enough to see this film, it li- like, I don't answer the phone unless I know the number. <laughs> like, I'm not answering this. this Caller ID, all that yes. stuff, right? <laughs> this could be the murderer. I'm not doing this. I'm not walking into a garage by myself. Like, there's just so many things. Lights are on in the rooms. I'm not walking into a dark room. Like, no. Mm-mm. Not happening. I'll still get, like, spam calls that say unknown, and I just, like, kind of giggle to myself. I'm like, I wonder, but I <laughs> that's funny okay but yes so back to la la land yes let's now let's like let, now let's get into it so before we dive into the discussion let's do a quick summary of la la land for our friends who are listening and and friends i have to warn you i got this off of the itunes library so it's not that great sorry itunes Okay, so here's a summary. Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling star as Mia and Sebastian, an actress and a jazz musician pursuing their Hollywood dreams and finding each other in a vibrant celebration of hope, dreams, and love. And so, Mario, you and I both love (laughs) musicals. And, you know, there's this Hollywood. We love movies. So let's get into the cinematic style and its homage to old Hollywood. Cause I grew up on old Hollywood. Yeah. So what did you think of the overall style of the film? And did you feel it like it truly did embody that old Hollywood style in a modern setting? Uh, so I got it. Yes. I agree that it did that. I did it. I think it did what it was supposed to do. I just rewatched it a couple days ago and what, actually stood out to me this time around was the colors yes like the, like the color like when the girls um her and the roommates are dancing out to go to the party like mm-hmm. their dresses are so bright and they stand out like to the to like almost like a 
a faint background, I guess. Yeah. So it's like they pop. Yeah. And I and I remember like old school Hollywood, like they would have specific colors and musicals to like, you know, these people are important or yeah. like this is important. So like pay attention to this color. Um, even in like the opening scene when they're doing the uh, on the freeway, the dance, mm -hmm. the dance number, like all the dresses and the suits and stuff are very vibrant and bright. And it just it just popped to me. And I was like, OK, yeah, I can see the modern. It's modern take because obviously it's on a L.A. freeway or, you know, it's in downtown L.A. and stuff. But yet we're kind of um, referring back to the old school classic musical, which mm -hmm. I was like, oh, that's amazing. Um, you, there was a lot of yellow. I don't. I didn't yes. notice it the first couple of times. So I was like, "How many scenes do we have where girls are wearing yellow dresses?" Not that I'm complaining, <laughs> but damn, is this a favorite color of the costume right? designer? <laughs> and I don't know if you um, noticed, but the gal in the yellow dress in that first scene, when you first meet like her mm -hmm. roommates, the gal in the yellow dress is in Crazy Rich Asians. She plays the best friend, best friend, fiance, or whatever. Yes. Yeah. yeah, you know, I noticed that. Um, way back when when i watched crazy reasons i'm like i know it's just familiar yeah Where do i know her from and, and then, then I you realized, hit the google and you're yes. like oh yeah um one of the <laughs> things that i loved about it about the style was is it i don't know what it's tech the technical term is but that single pan right it doesn't look like there's any cuts like oh, every yes. dance scene is one shot is one single shot and they mm -hmm. go through the whole thing so you know you don't want to be the dancer who fucks up because then you right? have to reset and start from the top because they're not cutting it yes and you know what's funny is i i saw i watched a lot of the behind the scenes stuff and on any movie and i remember coming when that came out i was like well, i want to know how they did these dance numbers because it took a lot and a lot of they did a lot of single shots um a majority of them the freeway scene and the somewhere in the crowd the party scene yeah. um, was a lot of single shots um so yeah it it they i was the director is saying that it took so many like takes because they had to get it right every time right because it was like one but it was just really cool to see how they did it because they used they like, used like the old school crane cameras and stuff oh, to get that. some of the shots um and it has yeah, that so. feel to it like it doesn't feel like because you know they were a lot of the guys wear the cameras now on those packs yes. like i keep mm -hmm. trying to get work to buy me one so i can just walk around with it on right. so i don't have to like <laughs> and um it has that feel so when you when you watch like earlier hollywood films it's very theatrical right yes. like there's a lot of theater involved like theater feel involved to it because they're still trying to figure out what is Hollywood like what is this medium and so I think that he did capture that by using like that's good to know that he used like the cranes and stuff because it makes it feel authentic to the to the to the era yes so I I totally agree with the old modern setting um just even some of the dance numbers were reminiscent uh, um like uh singing in the rain like when mm -hmm. they're dancing on in Griffin Park like just stuff like that just reminded me of that um but yeah, no, I, I totally agree with with, uh, what, with how it looks. I I yeah. really feel like he didn't, he hit the mark on that. Yeah, whether he like built a team to help him get that feel or if he's just somebody who's an appreciator himself, I think you're right. He nailed it on the head in terms of style. And I think that's why I was so drawn to it because I've talked to a lot of people who are like, oh, I hate this movie. It's not good. And I'm like, you don't <laughs> like musicals? Right. What kind of human are you? <laughs> How do you not like musicals? What's wrong with right. you? <laughs> it always breaks my heart when someone's like, I'm not really into musicals. And I'm just like, what? 
Like, okay. they're singing and dancing. They're having yeah. fun. Like, <laughs> who doesn't dream of just breaking out in a dance and song number when they're like in the middle of like, I don't know, the grocery store? That right? sounds like fun to me. Remember when we had that whole renaissance of flash mobs? I was like, oh I always want to be a part of one because I was like, that's exactly what I dream of one day. Yeah. Like, you're just going to break out in song and dance and yes. tell my life story, you know? <laughs> and then you can convey your emotions without being truly vulnerable, but they're right. still there. It's the best. Yes. <laughs> totally I do agree think with that. that the the freeway scene, watching it this time, I was like, that sucks. Because, I mean, for the people who live in, in L.A. and have to, like, have to deal with however long it took them to shoot that scene and shut down the highway. Because, like. Two days. It took them two days. Yeah, they. I was. I watched that behind the scene just recently to get prepared for this interview, and yeah, it took them two days. They shut down part of the freeway, um, and then they said it was like one of the hottest days too. So they had like umbrellas, they had water, and all this stuff. And they oh like they said the the dancers were just like, oh, it was horrible, but like just to see the end result was amazing because it's like they put so much work into it but yeah. it's funny because when they trained when they were practicing they were in like an empty parking lot and uh damien uh chazelle was uh filming with his iphone so like if you go on youtube and like watch behind the scenes for that one it shows like the the iphone version of the that dance number oh, and that's then it'll, cool. com it'll compare it to like the the camera version mm -hmm. which is kind of cool like how much they changed or how similar it was so but yeah, that's probably one of my favorite scenes is the freeway scene, just because it's like, it's a freeway. Like, yeah. you don't think about that. And it's like, that's everyday life in LA. It's like, you're stuck on the freeway, like just sitting there. So it's like, whenever I'm in LA now, I'm just like, oh, so we're going to break out and song right. dance while we're just standing here? Like, might as well. Like, we're not right. moving. Like <laughs> my friend, when my friend first moved to LA and I went to visit her, she's like, oh yeah, we're going to go to this bar just around the corner. I was like, oh, okay, cool. And you know, in Modesto, around the corner literally means around the corner. Like, yeah. right. So we get in the car and we get on the freeway and I was like, I thought you said we're going to the bar around the corner. She's like, yeah, we totally are. It's like a couple freeways. It's <laughs> <laughs> not around the corner. We and a 10 minute drive ends up being like 45 minutes, you know? Yeah, we took two freeways to get to this bar. I mean, it was worth it. It was a great, the ambiance was great and the drinks yeah. were good and like the vibe was cool, but two freeways. It's like, oh, this feels very much like what I thought LA would be, I guess. I don't know. I think that's smart that they rehearsed on um, in a parking lot because Blacktop is like scorching, scorching hot. Summer. And if you don't train for that, that's, you're dropping like flies. Right. Well, we can't sidestep the criticism of La La Land, and there was a lot. Yes. Once the joy of the modern day musical that felt nostalgic, yet still feeling current in some ways, the glaring reality for me was this. Jazz being saved by a white dude? Like, really? <laughs> I mean, granted, like, Ryan, I mean, who doesn't want to look at Ryan Gosling? I mean, some people don't, but in, you know, in the world in which yeah. I live, a lot of people do. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, which everyone knows is a famous basketball player, but he's not just a basketball player. If you ever have the chance to watch the episode of Celebrity Jeopardy he's on, he crushed it. Okay. He is so freaking <laughs> smart. It was like, all right, Kareem, respect. Like, get it, girl. I mean, he's not a girl, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> he wrote an article for The Hollywood Reporter stating... There are few elements that warrant closer examination, particularly regarding its portrayal of jazz, romance, and people of color. In fact, the better 
a work of art is, the more we must dissect it, because now we're not just measuring Rotten Tomatoes popularity or Bofo box office. We're assessing its proper place in our cultural canon. He continues on by stating that it's fair to question Chazelle's color wheel when it comes to discussing certain historical events. In this case, jazz. We can all admit jazz's origins are unique to the African-American experience. Jabbar also acknowledges the upset he feels when the only major black character played by John Legend is viewed as a sellout by Sebastian, a jazz purist. Other critics have argued that Seb's love for jazz appears to stop before the civil rights movement takes a major hold in America. In a review by The Guardian, writer Noah Gattel adds, it's noteworthy then that the jazz musician Sebastian most reveres is Charlie Parker, who died in 1955 before the movement really got started. None of this is to suggest that the film is exactly racist. Sebastian romanticizes Parker simply because he lived and died before jazz started to change for the first time. But it's impossible to separate jazz from Black history, and it's downright foolish to do so in a film by, for, and largely about white people. So for me, jazz is is equal to my grandparents, and it was really, if we put jazz on, it was honestly the only type of music that would get them to open up about their young lives, which Mm -hmm. mostly consisted about stories about various jazz scenes they experienced, and just for context for our listeners my grandparents would would have been in their 20s and 30s in in the 1940s so it's their generation's music so when we look at this film on a deeper level taking into consideration kareem abdul jabbar's comments in the hollywood reporter do we think damien chazelle was naive when it comes to the world of jazz and the film he's created yeah i don't know if he's i mean i guess he would be naive in a sense um, I think movies have definitely changed from when this came out. This was what five, six years ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, I because I did notice like in the beginning of the film, you see so much diversity, especially in like the the freeway scene. There's like people of all sorts of colors and, and different styles um, of dance too. He exactly, throws in different di- styles of dance, outfits, all that stuff. So it shows like it was a diverse cast. And then once you get into the center of the story, yes, we're just talking. We're following two white people like the whole time, and. Besides John Legend, there really isn't any other, you know, um, person of color in the rest of the movie, which I get. And nowadays it's like you, I feel like that's not the world we live in now. It's like you you kind of have to include people of color in all aspects of the film because that's the world we live in. And mm-hmm. I think I think nowadays movies are finally starting to kind of get that. Um, I don't think he was naive. And I think it was just he was trying to tell a story and... At that time, you know, critics might argue, like, if you would have put a black person in the lead, like, would have made that much money or what it would. And I think at that time, I mean, we'll go on to this later, but another movie at that same time did have black leads and stuff and ended up, you know, winning a bunch of awards as mm-hmm. well. So, I mean, it shows that there is an audience for it. And I think it's just he's he's got to learn and. I think he is learning because I mean because he did Whiplash right after that. Whiplash was before, I think. Was it before? Okay, so it was was before, before. and um, that still had you know white leads and Mm -hmm. still had to do with some jazz and stuff as well. I think too, it comes from that perspective. Like he's telling we're in as writers, we're told all the time, write what you know, and I thought he was coming from a perspective of he's writing what he knows. And if his world of jazz doesn't encompass black people, well, number one, 
I need you to go to different clubs, Steamy and Chazelle, because they're everywhere. Yeah. Like, yeah. this is, you know, universally known that this is mob people's music. Yeah. But two, you know, he's coming from a perspective of, he's coming from his perspective and he clearly has respect and passion for the genre, which yes. I think comes across very clearly. Mm-hmm. And, and so when the criticisms first started coming out, I was like, wait, what? Like, cause it didn't read that way to me. Like I yeah. didn't take that. I didn't mm-hmm. get that takeaway. And I don't know if that's because my life was so, I have this white world I live in and then I have this black world I live in. And so yeah. like the two sort of collide. I don't know if that's why, but now I'm just like, boy was just writing from what he knew and maybe didn't ask questions beyond yeah. that. And as a filmmaker nowadays, I feel like you do have to ask those questions. So mm-hmm. it's like, so I think he's, I think he's learning. I I, I definitely, I'm, I know he's writing another, um, I forget what the movie's called, but I know his, cast is a little more diverse this time around well that's good um so i think he is learning um but yeah no i i totally agree with you i think he was just at that time he was like all right i know this and i do love jazz and stuff yeah, and like you said think- who wants who, who doesn't like looking at ryan gosling and everything? <laughs> <laughs> but i mean I-, I know i mean even emma stone though she's 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 um she's gotten criticism for taking some roles too like uh i think it was well, that movie Aloha, Aloha yeah. Where she was it was supposed to be played by an Asian, but then she ended up playing that character, and mm. I remember her getting a lot of cri- criticism for that too. So it's like, I don't know necessarily it falls directly on the director. I mean, yes, he's in charge of the movie and all that stuff, but you got producers. I mean, you got actors. You got yeah, somebody uh, script writers. They somebody just, needs to they say want... like somebody didn't say something right. Exactly. Like they're fostering so, an environment where someone can't doesn't feel like they can speak up and be like, maybe yeah. this role shouldn't be this person. Yeah. So, but I mean, yeah, I, I don't think he intentionally did it. I don't think he's racist at all. I don't think the movie intends to be racist. I think, like you said, it is a love story to the old school Hollywood stuff, and I think to him, jazz is something that is important because we've seen it in other his other works as well. So. I think it's just he's got to learn how to incorporate more. If he's going to tell a modern world story, he needs to include the more modern actor, I guess you would say. Yeah, and and to add to that and recognize, too, that this isn't... Yes, thank you for loving jazz, Damien Chazelle. We appreciate yeah. that. But also, <laughs> don't, don't, don't ignore the fact that it's, you know, a very specific grouping of people who should always be attributed to the genre. Like, so incorporating yeah. that in some way. I do, personally, I also love Charlie Parker. My favorite jazz musician is John Coltrane. But there's just a lot of, like, like the jazz fusion band that John, Keith, John Legend's character, that they end up being in later. I was like, yeah. this is garbage. <laughs> so, so for me, I was like, Zeb, I get you. Because that band is trash. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't want to listen to this jazz fusion right? shit you've just started. Like, what is this? And then the dancers come out on stage and I'm just like, no. What is this? A, yeah, like, give me a smoky club underneath a building with, like, dimly lidded room and a bar and, like, sticky floor. Like, that's... And maybe I'm being idealistic, too. I don't know. But it was just kind of like... Yeah, John Legend, you're a sellout. <laughs> I'm not here for this. 
and I and that was one of the things they did have a, a gripe about the film was like you're gonna put John Legend in film, use him a little more too, because I like felt like he wasn't in that much and like he was in there to just kind of like sway the character a little bit. Mm-hmm. But it's like you got John Legend, you got a lot of like talent right there, and a lot yeah. of fans wouldn't I feel like would flock to that because they're like they love John Legend. I'm a lot of John Legend fan, so like and to have him like even just do a like you said, the song that he ended up singing in the film wasn't that great because it was a fusion of stuff. But it's like, give me some of his piano playing and all that stuff. Right. Like, come on, he, that's what he's known for. Like, use him. Like, use him like that. So You know what would have been... Sorry. No, go. You're going to interrupt it all the time. <laughs> it actually would be interesting to see John Legend in that lead role because when they introduced his character, it's like, I did actually think... Because I saw it in the theater, of course. And in the theater, it's like... John Legend's like a known piano player. Like I could see him being Seb. And then I started creating this whole narrative for him, right? Like, so he's Seb, but the difference is, is he comes from generational musicians. And so he grew up hearing stories about his grandfather playing with Charlie Parker and all these things. And that's why he's so angry about this transition of jazz into this, whatever it is. And then turning these clubs into samba tapas bars and being so irate about that (laughs) you know so that's kind of where my mind went it's not a missed opportunity obviously because that's not the point of the the movie but it would be interesting to see something like that where you do have a black character whose family is like clearly stayed in the roots of you know started in the roots of jazz and then stayed with Mm -hmm. it to kind of take on that mantle of selling out and rudeness and this is not fusion fusion's not okay yeah no i feel it yeah but i do have to say like because like i wasn't very familiar with jazz like to me like i wasn't around that music so like to me jazz was like elevator music to me like i would hear jazz in the elevator like you know which they (laughs) touch on in the movie yes and so it's like when i did watch this movie i was like oh i actually do kind of like the jazz like they're playing so it didn't make me do some research because it was like, I didn't know who Charlie Parker was at the time. And mm-hmm. just to listen to some other genres and stuff too was like really cool. So it did open me up to that and like kind of get me digging into a little more about jazz. And it's funny. And like uh, when last year, when I worked at a school, one of our, our music teacher actually introduced jazz to our fourth graders because oh. we did different genres of music. So it was cool. Cause I was like, Oh, I learned something new or I did hear about that or, something so it was like i was learning too so yeah one thing the film did for me was actually you know pique my curiosity a little bit so i do appreciate that fact and i hope maybe that did uh you know pique other people's curiosity too of like oh this is a cool song or oh i want to learn about this more or something and you know yeah, you got to start somewhere right Yes. Like, because this this type of film style of genre you know this big hollywood musical type of film hadn't been done in 40 years, 50 years. So it was an experiment in that can this movie actually make money? And then it totally made its way through the award circuit too. Yes. So it was like, yes, we can. So I kind of actually agree a little bit with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in the sense of like, we can't just leave it to Rotten Tomato. We have to actually now dissect it. So that way the next time somebody wants to do a big musical type number that includes something that's very unique to a specific Mm -hmm. population of people we need to be mindful about it Mm -hmm. but i think it showed this film was like 
hey, Hollywood, we can totally get away with doing movies like this. It were, It's a thing that we can start doing again, which, of yes. course, hasn't happened. But I would be no. here for it if it did. Right. <laughs> I feel it. What's your favorite musical? This isn't in the script, so I'm going off. Oh, I don't know. This, that's a hard one. Um, like the toughest decision uh, in the world, right? Right. Um, I really love Sound of Music. I, lo- oh, I love Sound, Sound of, of Music. Music is time. so good. Right? I know. I, yeah, I know all the songs there. Um, and Christopher man. Plummer, he's so good. <laughs> oh my gosh! But like, I like the old school ones. Like Mary Poppins is great. Yeah. Like, I love. I'm a Julie Andrews fan too. So like, anything with Julie Andrews. Musical, I watched The Princess Diaries great. last night. <laughs> <laughs> like, I always watch- a classic. Yeah. I always watch it when it's on. West Side Story is a great one. I love that one. I mean, that's actually I, I mean, my I, favorite. Grease is always fun. But yeah, no, I mean. Yeah, it's hard to choose. There's so many good ones. And even though, even like some of the, like even some of the bad ones, like I don't know if you remember the movie Nine with Daniel Day-Lewis. Um, no. Where he's, making, where he's making the movies and it's about nine women that he interacts with throughout his career. Huh. As like Nicole Kidman, um, Penelope How Cruz. do I not know about this movie? I don't know. It's, it, was, it was super slow and it wasn't like that great of a plot, but there's like two really good numbers in it that like i'll still listen to on my my playlist every once in a while so it's like even bad musicals i always find like one or two songs that i like yeah Um, like mama mia is not that great of a musical but the soundtrack's amazing exactly yeah so i get you (laughs) yeah musicals are great i love them Oh, the sound of music is so good. I'm glad you listed that because then I'd be like, this conversation is over. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> be like, oh, okay. We're no, done here, sir. <laughs> um, okay. Back to our regularly scheduled program. All right. Vogue ran an article before the film's release titled A Feminist Reading of La La Land, written by Julia Felsenthal. She opens her article with a statement that the, this film is a much needed diversion from the gritty, less than buoyant real world, which fair because it was 2016, <laughs> but states, I'm here to talk about what runs beneath the burnished surface, which seems to me a strong current of gender critique. Is Damien Chazelle channeling his inner feminist in La La Land? I'm going to argue yes. So... To further on this, she cites events like Mia's annoyance at Zeb when he requests for her to go on the road with him. You know, Mia pouring hours into her one-woman show as as being elements of feminist awakening. She also suggests that in a dream sequence Mia has, so just for the listeners, um, Zeb gets a job with John Legend's character and they're touring musicians doing that jazz fusion garbage. And Mia's working on a one woman show because she's trying to, you know, she's an actress. She's trying to figure out ways to break into the industry because auditioning is soul crushing. Um, and so at the end of the movie, spoiler alert, and if you haven't seen it, it's been out for five years. So sorry, not sorry. She, Mia and her husband, who's played by Tom Everett Scott, who I love, it, they stumble upon a jazz club. Turns out it's Zeb's. He climbs on stage, Zeb does, and begins to play their song. It's the song that you hear throughout the film when, you know, these moments happen between Mia and and Seb. And so Mia falls down this fantasy rabbit hole where she sort of sees what would have happened with her and Zeb had they worked out and not had separated. Felsenthal refers to this as a full-on feminist fantasy. Mia ends up getting everything she wants in this sequence, Seb, and a flourishing career, and they're happy. 
the I, ending was soul crushing. <laughs> the ending is soul crushing. So what I love about this sequence, though, is that it's true to the musical genre, right? Like of Hollywood and the golden age. Like Gene Kelly films do this shit all the time. Like mm-hmm. name a Gene Kelly film that doesn't have a fantasy what if scene. <laughs> yes. You can't. Exactly. So to add to this, in the article referenced before by Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, he comments that both films might be, both films meaning this film and Giselle's previous film, might be cautionary tales to warn against the single-minded pursuit of self-aggrandizing dreams. After all, Mia gets her movie career, her movie star career, but seems locked in a perfectly pleasant but passionless marriage. Sebastian gets his jazz club, but is alone and regretful about what might have been with Mia. At the end, they smile wistfully at each other and the lives they might have had. Is this film encouraging us to weigh the value of our dreams against the reality of love? Is it saying that although the sacrifice of a relationship or two is sad, it's a small price to pay to follow our dreams? So I'm personally having trouble resolving these two ideas that like Chazelle's channeling his inner feminist and like settling for passionless love. So now we get to talk about plots and themes (laughs) so like initially what themes did you pull from the movie and then we'll dive into all the other things oh man so i thought it was love mine was like love is love this is love this is failed love like i thought that the acting career and the music uh club were background notes i thought the whole thing was just about these two cup this this couple that was my takeaway. Sorry, Mario. Yeah. I keep cutting you no, off. No, no, you're good. I when I when I first watched that scene too, I was like, oh wait, is she really like? Is this a really dream sequence with her and Zeb? Like, maybe this is what really happened, and we're just yeah. Like, and I was like, oh no, it's not. Like, dang it. Like, I was like rooting for them because I was like, they were good together. They were so um, good together, and he was so supportive and so encouraging, and she was yeah. so supportive and so encouraging. Like, it breaks my heart that they couldn't work it out for me originally it was just like not all dreams come true kind of Mm. thing like sometimes you do have to pick and choose and i think that is life in general is like are you going to do the moralist more realistic route or are you going to go and continue playing this fantasy that you think is going to work out and and maybe it will but you never know kind of thing um that's how i took it it was like sometimes dreams just don't work out um, or you yeah. can't, or you can't have everything, I guess was another one it was like, cause it's like, they did choose their careers over, you know, love. They both became very successful, but yeah, again, it's like, it does suck. Cause it's like, they both felt like, I felt like Zeb was definitely alone and was kind of like just working on his career. And then she was in a marriage that didn't seem very romantic at all, but she was just doing it to, mm-hmm. you know? So it, yeah, it, it's hard. Cause it's like. I, I don't know. I, I'm always a positive person, I feel like. So it's like to see movies that end on kind of, I mean, not a, I guess it wasn't like a positive note, but it wasn't like a too negative note. I guess right. it was like in between to me. Like it was like, so it was just, it kind of bummed me out a little bit because it was just like, oh man, like you can't have everything. Which... Right. Well, and the other part for me was, okay, so she, so for listeners who haven't seen the movie and it's, again, it's been five years, like get with it. <laughs> she auditioned, she gets this big audition. And so it's kind of a big deal. It's at the end of the film. She's been going through the entire film doing garbage auditions, people treating her like casting directors or whatever they are just sort of being 
complacent during her audition and Emma Stone's pulling out some serious <laughs> acting talent doing these auditions. And so then someone's like interrupting her like, oh no, tell them I'll call back. It'll be like two minutes, if that. And you're just like, like that's soul crushing. So but yeah. the, the point of the film before the end, she's like her soul's crushed. She's gone home. And then she finds out she gets this big audition and we find out that, you know, the character, it's going to film in Paris. So for me, when I was at that point, I was like, oh, Paris, perfect. Seb can go with her because he comments in the movie and we know this is true. Paris has yeah. a major jazz scene. Yes. So like, Zeb, you could go with her because then you could like play where all your greats played and do all this stuff, right? So for me, that was like, I feel like you did that on fucking purpose because th to be like, no, she he's not going with her because... I don't know why. We don't know why he doesn't go with her. And that bothers yeah. me because Paris is like a Mecca when it yeah. comes to like, I can't even tell you, Mario, how many black creatives have fled the United States of America for Paris and have yeah. just done incredible things in Paris. Like it is an artist Mecca. And so, um, so that bothered me. The other thing that bothered me too, about what the Vogue article was the things that she cited as being like very feminist mm -hmm. i was like i didn't take it zeb's on tour and he's like come with me mia but i didn't take it as like him saying come with me and forget your one woman show yeah i took it as because he makes that comment of like oh you can rehearse anywhere right like just rehearse with me yeah like where i am and she's like it doesn't really work that way so i didn't take it as like him asking her to give up what she's been working so yeah no i didn't on. take that either yeah so i felt like maybe this writer might have took taken it that way because like she's he's just saying like hey it, it was like a hey we miss each other come with me for a couple like a week couple and then weeks, come back yeah. like that's what it felt like to me mm -hmm. and that's what i took from it too i totally agree with that the other part that stressed me out a little bit where it's like this is not enough time is when they're like five years later i needed it to be 10 years later yeah because she's like you're trying to tell me that in five years since she left for paris to film her very first movie she's managed to meet tom everett scott film a bunch of other movies to become a mega movie star have a child who looks like she's two or three and then and then be like super set in hollywood like does that happen yeah. in five years <laughs> <laughs> i think that plays on the fantasy aspect of the hollywood modern or like the old school modern Hollywood mm -hmm. kind of thing like that's what they people think it is and you know you never know he could have been a producer on the film and they fell in love and maybe they got pregnant before they got married or maybe they got all right fair you know. fair points all right thanks for shooting holes in my so frustration <laughs> I see but see this is how I think I think about like well maybe it was this way or maybe it was that way I don't know i but I mean, I, I agree with you. I get that. And and here's the other thing that is a club up and running that successfully uh, after five years. Like, businesses take time. <laughs> He's that good, Julia. He's apparently. that good. It's that fucking stool. <laughs> that stool brought him all the luck. Right? The one that is, you know, I love that. He's like, I love the dynamic between he and his sister. Like, that was such a sibling dynamic to me it's like yeah you're cute. and i love right. the actress she's in mad men she oh, plays okay. um 
one of the New York mistresses in the very first season. And then she kind of comes back a little bit throughout the series, but she's really prominent in the first season. All right. Well, let's talk about what we love, what we loved about this film and what we didn't love about this film. I love, I love Emma Stone. Yeah. Emma Stone is always great. She's one of my favorite actresses. And just to see her kind of like do a whole 360 with this. I mean, she was great. And she was, before this, she did like Zombieland and Easy mm-hmm. A and all that stuff. And so we've seen that comedic side of her. Um, and then just kind of see her a little more vulnerable, I guess, in this. And then to see her sing, too. Yeah, actually, a pretty good singer to me. Um, so to see her do that. Um, I love the musical numbers. I thought they were all very, like, at least the first couple ones were, like, big and, you know, very musical. Like, the group the group uh, numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, even, even her last... Um, even the audition song was just like heartbreaking because it was just like telling a story mm-hmm. and that's what they wanted her to do was tell her tell a story and she did but it, like you could feel the passion you just watch her face like i was just like oh that's an oscar right there just because just her facial expressions were amazing on that but yeah i i mean i love like i said i love the bright colors i love the feel of the old school um hollywood musical in that even even the, the font screen. they used the, to oh, yeah. in the beginning was like oh that feels like old Hollywood good job yes with the little orchestra playing and yeah. even at the end too they like you know it brings it down to the very mm-hmm. end and you're just mm-hmm. like oh so good but yeah no so those are my favorite things about it how about you so musical numbers for sure but I'm a sucker yeah. for a good musical number a good song and dance show I'm here yes. for it. I was really impressed with Emma Stone's performance because like I said, in her audition scenes and she'd get so there's that one, the very first one we see her in where, where she plays the cop. Or is she the one when she's on the phone and she's like, Oh yeah, yeah. that's what did she say? That's lunacy or whatever. And, yeah. and she's like getting, and then it, the, call clearly takes a turn and gets serious and she just gets emotional and she is able to call tears to her eyes and her eyes well up and then she's so into it and then there's somebody in the window with a post-it note and then you know we don't see it but we assume that they're called in to be like somebody's on the phone yeah i'll call them back in less than two minutes like oh my god for so but for her to be able to be like stay frozen like that and then like And to get into that moment (laughs) so easily to be emotional like that. And then just kind of, oh, I was like, girl, we knew you had it in you. Yes. (laughs) Like you weren't just (laughs) this comedy girl in all of these, you know, not, not all the movies she was in were raunchy, but you know, like some of them, you're just like, this is not a movie I can watch with my parents. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) La La Land is. I can totally watch it with my mom. And what was your I, favorite musical number? Oh, or, that's do you have tough. a favorite one? Um, I do love the one with the girlfriends. I thought that Somewhere one was really crowd. beautiful. Yeah. And then the opening scene is just, I think they came out of the gate strong with that number yeah. because being, you know, the using using cars as props as part of your dance routine and just all of the movement that's involved. And like we mentioned earlier, they had different styles of dance featured yes. throughout too. I, I mean that's that was impressive so impressive but yeah I think the girlfriends when they're in the like that's probably my most favorite I did love it when they were in um when she and Ryan Gosling you know we oh, in the park mm-hmm. that oh, one was such really a great beautiful. scene too yes yeah. um and then I do like the city of stars when he's singing by himself on the pier 
Yeah. Um, I was like, it's just a small, intimate moment. It's mm-hmm. just like he's, and it's funny because even in that song, he's talking about, is this a is this a dream I'm going to be able to follow, or is it just another dream that's going to go away kind yeah. of thing? And so, kind of, it's almost kind of plays to the theme of the movie too, because it's mm-hmm. like, what's really going to happen? Like, are we going to get all our dreams, or is it just going to be something that kind of moves on again? Yeah. Like. That, they do a really good job at tying that in and having that parallel throughout the entire film. Yes. Overall, I, I, I really enjoy that movie. I'll watch it. Um, it's on my rotating playlist every mm-hmm. once in a while. And I like I said, I'll have those songs on my playlist. So I'll just play through sometimes. And I'm just like, oh, yeah, I love this song. And yeah. Stuff. But yes, it's so good. I really liked it. Despite the con- controversy sometimes, but still, I still yeah. enjoy it. Yeah, I think that it's a good starting point. You know, I think that there's always fear in Hollywood to do something that's kind of, quote, unknown or people assume won't do well. Like the conversation with like when I when I I watch a lot of like whatever, it doesn't matter what I watch. But the point is, is when I watch like history of stuff, there's always this comment about like, especially with like black films in, in the black community it's always like oh you know black movies don't do as well and they don't get the same kind of budget and da 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 and what's really cool about the last five years is that we have all these movies that are like no we can totally do big budget shit stop kicking us around and i feel like la la land kind of helps with that conversation like we can do a big big budget musical like sure there's flaws but we needed some someone to show us that it could be done and now for yes. next time we can you know improve upon and do better agreed okay we can't talk about this film without discussing the oscar fiasco oh the oscars <laughs> listeners if you did not know in 2017 la la land not only was nominated for the most awards they were nominated for 14 awards it won the most academy awards they won six one of the nominations was best picture Okay, Warren Beatty, Faye Dunaway, Hollywood royalty were presenting for Best Picture. And when they opened the envelope and renounced the name, they announced La La Land. But guess what? It wasn't La La Land that actually won. (laughs) It was Moonlight. And so there's this never in my life, and I've been watching the Academy Awards for as long as we've had television in my house, have I seen this happen before? And like the first thing I, I, I was at work and I had it on the background and I remember watching that singing and my first thought was like, Ooh, someone's getting fired tonight. Like, I was like, how do you mess that up? Like, <laughs> and I've heard all kinds of things since then too. Like, Oh, they gave him the wrong envelope. Oh, they did. people that was were what I heard. too yeah. busy taking selfies in the back stage because they were like the accountants were like starstruck and like all this stuff because you know they make a big deal these are the accountants that count the numbers and this yes. is a big deal because we hire this agency and they probably pay millions of dollars to do it you know and so i'm like can i get a job on that i need a job right, right there. i know how to count <laughs> 10 uh, but it's just like jaw dropping and so i so I watch all award shows on pause so I can skip through the commercials. Well, I don't yeah. watch it on pause. I pause it at the top of the show so I can skip through commercials. Yeah. But at this point, I had caught up because eventually you catch up. Yeah. Ryan Gosling's face is, was priceless. So if anybody wants to Google what his face... Like, they've turned it into a meme. But, like, never have I ever... This has never happened. 
in the history of award shows, I don't think. I think yeah. this is the first time ever. It was a giant flub that probably shouldn't have happened, but it happened. But it definitely, I think it definitely gave uh, the Oscars a, a boost in their ratings and <laughs> maybe <laughs> gave it was them a, something to talk about. Maybe it was a ploy to try maybe and it was, like, it was a public, it, it was a staged event to try and right? like help boost. Because their numbers <laughs> have been dropping the last couple of years. Oh, yeah. All award shows have been. I had somebody tell me in earlier this year, is there one in? Oh, the Oscars! Um, the Oscars of twenty twenty one. Yeah. So I was. I said to a work friend who's also a movie person, I was like, "Oh, did you watch the Academy Awards?" And he was like, "No, not really. Like, it just is so political now." And da da da. And I can see where it gets political. I think at that they've. It was more of because I remember it was a it was a controversy too. It was like they didn't have very many black members or like Latino members a part of the Academy. And they had, they ended up inviting um, like, I don't, I forget like a hundred and something more um, members and stuff. So uh, it basically diverse the, the, the Academy vote. And I think um, that kind of helped, but yeah, I, I definitely agree. It is a little political because like there's some films on there that I'm just like, how the heck did that get nominated? Or I could see why it gets nominated, but it's like, People, people, you know, people campaign too. It's a campaign as well. So it's like, yeah, if your Denzel. studio has money, of course you're, you might win because you're in, you you put a lot more into your campaign than and a little indie film. I can't afford a campaign, you know. Right. So it's like, <laughs> yeah, Denzel Washington when he won an Academy Award, I don't remember if it was for Fences or for Training Day. It might have been Training Day when he was like, they said to do the campaign, they said to go and shake the hands, they said to go to the lunches, they said go and meet the people and you'll win. And you know what? I did all those things and I won. And I was like, <laughs> Denzel, I love you. Why did you tell us behind the curtain yeah. stuff? I didn't need to know that. <laughs> and I wanted it, and to believe in your acting ability was the, all that got you here. I mean, yes, it is. But then you there's more to it than that. There's more than just... I'm a good actor and I got nominated. It's yeah. I'm a good actor and now I have to like tell you why to vote for me. Yeah. And I think it kinda it even goes back to like when remember when The Dark Knight was snubbed for a best picture and that was like I mean, that's an amazing film. It's on like the top one hundred films of yeah. all time. Like and to have that snubbed, I mean I did get nominations in like effects and cinematography, yeah. but like technical categories, but still like not to now nominated because it was like a comic book movie kind of right. thing like it just it kind of bugged me and it's like you people are watching like the same thing we are and you guys are praising it but yet you're not gonna vote for it right or even nominate it because it's a comic book movie kind of like well and so, at the time they only were nominating five five films for yeah, best and, picture and, and they and that's what expanded the, yep. the nominations which they and haven't had the, a full 10 since but the way that it's like a weighted system that has to well, go yeah because then originally it was because then then the next few years it was they had to be 10 and so then you would get some random films in there that you're mm -hmm. just like really like okay yeah. but then then they changed the rules again to where like okay we can have up to 10 yeah and because i i think the complaint was like 10 films is hard to hard to watch like to mm -hmm. watch all 10 films because yeah because like, the the like voting members, members have to watch it all 10 because they yeah. send out screeners and stuff and it was just like i think that was one of the complaints it was like to watch all 10 is super hard and with our busy schedules and stuff so i mean it's like 
don't know if you're if you're a member i feel like you kind of have to make the time you know it's coming right you know it's like like listen if i can do it if i can do exactly. it exactly i'm regal, like we do it all the time yeah when regal <laughs> and i work full time like hello regal does the pass now where you can buy for like so much money and then you can see yeah. all 10 or all the nominated best films yeah, yeah, yeah. so when they started doing that it's like oh, my life just got easier one-stop shop yeah. right? <laughs> but before it was like I don't know if you remember this before it was like they denounced the list, but the movie, some of the movies already ran. So it was like, shit, I never saw that movie yeah. because I didn't go when it was in theater and yeah. and it wasn't common practice like it is now to re-release the nominated films. Exactly. So I'm really glad they're doing that now because I haven't missed one since they started doing that. Yeah. But you're not, I mean, you're not wrong. It's, it's, it's a lot of time. And then if a movie's nominated, <laughs> if it's three hour runtime, it's like shit. Yeah. I think I think you. I mean, I've always had opinions about the Academy Awards. I love the Academy Awards. Don't get me wrong. I I'll watch it every year. But yeah, I think it it definitely needs a little more creative touch. I think it needs to definitely like reach out to its younger audience because mm-hmm. it's like like you got to find a way to get them wanting to watch it because it's very niched now, right? Like yeah. before the Academy Awards, like we sat like I I remember everyone would talk about it the next day at work or at school. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, I'm a pee standing alone. Like no one's watching unless they're a movie and film person. Like just yeah. very dedicated to the theater, movie arts or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of like, it used to be like a cultural bond nationwide. And now it's like, you got to find your, you got to find your people. Like when you yeah. said that you watched the Emmys, I was like, oh, I found somebody that watches the Emmys too. Oh, I love watching. Yeah, I love watching all these shows. They're fun. I'm like, one day I'll be there on the red carpet interviewing somebody or right? just in the audience, you know, saying hi to all the celebrities as they walk I would out. love to be a seat filler. That's the dream, right? I yeah. want that job. Yeah. You can actually apply for that job, which is exciting. What? I have, yeah, you can You go to, I forget, I think it's just seatfiller.com or something like that. I remember reading an article about it and they're like, yeah, you just apply for the job. You have to go through like so much security background though, which is funny. I mean, I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. But yeah, there you just apply for the job, and then they, if you get accepted, you accept. But I heard it's very hard to get accepted. That's I I went through but, a three month background check for my current job, so I'm like, bring it, <laughs> I right? can do it, I can put up with it. <laughs> of course, yes. all the times that I've talked about uh, my crush on Chris Evans might eliminate me from the pool of candidates. <laughs> Publicly, have gone on record about it. So that kind of goes back around um, to how moonlight one i i feel like mm-hmm. because i think yes so yes it was nominated for all these awards 14 awards which is outstanding um it did win a lot of the technical awards which modern musical like you said it was a, it was an ode to hollywood and hollywood loves celebrating itself you know mm-hmm. so i think it did deserve those nominations um emma stone won for best actress well deserved um I think what did hurt it in the overall winning the best picture was what we've been talking about. It's like, it wasn't as diverse and people saw the criticism and even had the criticism of it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's intentionally why Moonlight won because it was like, we can make these films mm-hmm. with a black lead or a black cast and it can have that recognition as, that same recognition as a, a big Hollywood movie. And I think that's why people tended to vote it for it. Which I totally agree. It's a great movie. It's uh, 
it's very well done and the acting is superb in that film as well so i think it did it yeah it definitely deserved to win best picture um but i think i i i do think stuff we have been talking about did hurt lala lala land's chances of winning best picture and i believe that's probably part of the reason um so to look at it that way too it's like oh yeah it does make sense that you know it didn't win mahershala ali who's the lead in moonlight or one of the main supporting actor he wants supporting supporting actor actor. he wants supporting actor later on was it the next year or the year after he starred in green book which got a lot that was a whole (laughs) we ain't got that kind of time but i got a lot of thoughts and opinions about that film because green books were like anyway anyway but mahershala ali is such an amazing and talented actor and it helps that he's really attractive but like he if anyone's gonna prove that you know um you can be a, a lead actor or a lead in a film or supporting in a film that yes. can do well he's definitely it because he's so dedicated to he never plays the same guy twice no and i love that about him i love it when actors get out of their comfort zone and try new things because that's the point of acting is to exactly. embody somebody else and he's blade by the way from marvel which is great i'm excited yeah. to see that side <laughs> note sorry <laughs> Um, Mario, it was really great having you on this show today. Can you remind everyone where they can find you if they want to keep up with you online? So I just started an Instagram account. It's uh, at Movies with Mr. Mario. Um, So just kind of uh, reviewing movies and TV shows I'm recently watching. I'm just kind of starting, so be patient with me because I'm trying to learn the format and how to do stuff. But it was just an encouragement from some friends and stuff. And like you said, I'm a big movie buff. I love watching movies. I love going to the movies. I love award shows. So um, just to kind of another expression of my passion, I guess, and kind of share it with the others, too, because you know, we all live in this world and movies, I feel like, are a big part of the world. And I feel like there's always a movie for somebody. And I think that's how a lot of the world relates is being able to talk about a movie or, you know, you know, sharing um, our thoughts about a show that we're all watching. Like I, that definitely, I feel like brings us together. Um, so yeah, so that's just one of my passions. So yeah. Movies with Mr. Mario. That is my Instagram. If you want to follow or comment or like, I'd appreciate it. <laughs> nice. Yes. And we'll share, we'll share um, your profile in our stories too. So that way people can find you easily as well. I appreciate if they it. Can't find you on their own. Um, listeners, La La Land is available wherever you rent or purchase movies like Apple TV or Google play. As always, you can find us in between episodes on Instagram at pop culture makes me jealous. Thanks for tuning in y'all until next time.